Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Fourth Estate Drive Time. Happy Monday, May 23rd to you. Coming to you live from I-40, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, with the moon in front of me and the sun behind me. It is a gorgeous day. Multiple sources are reporting overnight and into this morning about the Iraqi move to retake the city of Fallujah. Still, I think, referred to as the Iraqi Security Forces rather than Army, Navy, Marines, etc. They've been dropping leaflets into the city encouraging the residents who are civilian to leave or, when the invasion occurs, (coughs) to hang out a white flag outside of their home or apartment to indicate to the invading forces that um, they are friendly and do not intend to fight back. There will be some concern, of course, that ISIS members will slip out amid the uh, civilians that are leaving, and that's a real possibility. Hopefully the greater possibility is they stay and fight to the death. Not that I wish to see them die, but I wish to see them uh, removed from power. And it looks like that force is the only way that's going to happen. There's an interesting complexity. Uh, This is in USA Today, and there are multiple sources reporting this, by the way, so there's a lot of opportunity for uh, different nuance. But one of the complexities is that um, Fallujah is primarily a Sunni town, which is one of the uh, top strands of Islam. It's a predominantly Sunni town. And amongst the security uh, forces that will be seeking to retake Fallujah from ISIS control are militia that are from Iran and that are Shiite. So there is the, um, there's the possibility for some, uh, some real problems in the ranks if the Shiites begin to be uh, more concerned about Shiites than they are about retaking Fallujah. This uh, looks like this is going to be a test of whether democracy will be able to maintain a hold in Iraq if these um, different strands of Islam cannot cooperate on something uh, like trying to get rid of ISIS then uh, this is going to be a long slog it looks like. Uh, If you remember way, way, way back uh, several decades ago there was a a war between Iran and Iraq that lasted, I think, about 10 years and somewhere in the neighborhood of an, uh, an estimated million people died total. Uh, just absolute horror. horror, And uh, that needs to be avoided. And uh, perhaps this is a step in that direction. Uh, NPR this morning is reporting that the Afghan government has confirmed the death of the leader of the Taliban. Uh, he was taken out in a drone strike. I don't have his name. Uh, it's in the report, in the episode links, uh, the links in the episode notes. Uh, this was rumored. The U.S. government apparently has not confirmed it yet, although uh, I think the, that our government has confirmed a, uh, an attempt was made. But until they get the intelligence back, they won't confirm. But the Afghan government, according to NPR, has confirmed the death of this this leader. In another story in Reuters, uh, there's a, an interesting twist uh, in that the previous leader, who, if I understand correctly, was actually the founder of the Taliban, this guy's name was, uh, it was Mullah Muhammad uh, Omar, 
he'd been dead for two years before they found out he was dead. So I don't, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. Uh, and then when they found out he was dead, there was some suspicion around the guy who took his place, who is the guy who just died in the drone strike, uh, about whether or not he had been deceiving the rest of the Taliban leadership about the physical whereabouts and condition of Mullah Muhammad Omar. So now that this guy is dead, there's another power vacuum at the top of the Taliban. And uh, for his part, President Obama has encouraged them to rethink their uh, their position in the world and to try to join civilization uh, rather than maintaining their stronghold in, uh, in Afghanistan. So it'll be uh, interesting to see one of the supposed possibilities for replacement for the guy who just died uh, is the son of Mullah Muhammad Omar. So uh, we'll be watching the Taliban for the next several days to see that bunch of lunkheads keeps going in the same direction uh, that they have been, which would be Stone Age. Haaretz, the uh, largest Israeli newspaper, is reporting a couple of interesting survey results. There was a poll done by an Israeli pollster very recently that found that 60% of Jews want a Scandinavian model of the national economy. 60% of Jews surveyed wanted a much more uh, welfare state model of their national economy. Now, if you look at modern Israel, uh, it is much more, uh, I'll use the term liberal, in its approach to government and society as far as benefits. There's a whole host of uh, benefits that we would consider, conservatives in America, if, they, if it wasn't Israel, would consider if someone was running on the platform of the Israeli model of e- e- economics, uh, they would likely consider that person to be a liberal. There are a lot of uh, things provided by the government. Uh, so there's this ongoing debate within Israel about taxes. I mean, it's, it's basically just like here. But it's interesting that although the, the government of Israel provides more than possibly the United States government, 60% of Jews feel like that it needs to be more welfare and many are willing to pay higher taxes in order to have a nanny state or even more of a nanny state. Part of this is because of compulsory military service. If you're not aware, uh, if you're a citizen of Israel, if you're a dude, then you are compelled to serve three years in the military If you are a girl, you are compelled to serve two years in the military. So once you reach, I think it's the age of 18, uh, by the time you reach 20 and 21, there are no non-veterans in in Israel. Everyone has to serve in the military. And uh, just recently, I pointed out to some friends that uh, while the United States is uh, debating now over whether women should be put into uh, more prominent combat positions, this is already happening in Israel, and it has been happening in Israel, that women are uh, often on the front lines of combat. So, um, as a result, a lot of Israelis feel like that, I guess, from the age of 21 on up through the age of 95, that the government owes them more for forcing their military service. Uh, There's another poll that was done by Pew Research 
that, uh, that's in dispute by some uh, Israeli pollsters and sociologists that has to do with the number of Israelis who believe Arabs who live within the boundaries of Israel should be removed. In other words, they should be uh, excommun- not excommunicated, deported. They should be deported uh, into where isn't stated, but apparently about 45 to 48% of Israeli Jews believe that Arabs within the, the bounds of Israel should be deported. Now, the questions on the Pew survey, and that question in particular, <clears throat> were uh, criticized as being too vague, and if you pay any attention, you know that there are uh, a lot of nuances. It's a, a very complex situation there regarding uh, Israeli Jews, Israeli Arabs, uh, non-Israeli Arabs, uh, Palestinian residents of the West Bank and Gaza Strip, and uh, settlements and all those kinds of things. So there's there's a lot of nuance, and the question may not have been as specific uh, as it could have been to be more helpful, but nonetheless, there uh, that report is there in a different Haaretz article. Politico is reporting this morning that there are concerns that the United States may not hold up its end of the Trans-Pacific Partnership regardless of who becomes president uh, because Trump and Sanders have more isolationist views than, um, than Clinton, although Clinton, who is a strong supporter of what's known as the TPP, is apparently walking back her support of it to some degree. And Obama is now in uh, in Asia. Will pay a visit to uh, Japan. Will be um, speaking about opening arms deals with Vietnam. And part of what he now appears to have to do is to assure Asian leaders that the United States is not going to cut and run uh, after he is no longer the president. And there is some right to be concerned. If you'll remember when Ron Paul was running for president, one of the things that he espoused was less military intervention and more trade. Uh, Have friendly relationships with the nations of the world using trade as the uh, mechanism to have friendly relationships rather than having uh, top-down military relationships with different nations of the world. So he would say that keeping trade uh, trade open between the United States and other countries is a way to maintain friendly relationships. Uh, as you know, uh, Donald Trump has also has already threatened uh, tariffs and the uh, possibility of a trade war that would uh, not be good for the world economy, certainly not good for our economy. And now uh, Sanders is more isolationist than Clinton, who is neoconservative in her foreign policy and then uh, she's now potentially walking back some of her earlier support which is interesting because she was instrumental in uh, in bringing that forward so be uh, good to watch the news from Asia over the next couple of days as uh, the president finishes up his trip maybe see what he says and what the responses are to that Thanks for listening. If you have a moment, I would appreciate a rating or review in iTunes and uh, maybe share this podcast with some of your friends on social media or old school via email. 
or call your mom on the phone and tell her how to use an app on her brand new Jitterbug smartphone and uh, let her listen to The Fourth State. This is uh, The Fourth State Drive Time, and I'm your host, Marty Duran. This is a production of Roundtable Media Group. If you're interested in advertising on The Fourth State, June is open. It'll be $25 for the month. You get two mentions on every podcast for the entire month. And if you provide a graphic for me, I'll be happy to put you in the sidebar of my blog. Happy day to you, and until the next time, I hope you have a fantastic day.